Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Jill Collinge. Jill is a highly acclaimed and respected historian and tour guide. Jill's built up a glowing reputation for extensive knowledge of the area in and around the Georgian town of Stamford from a historical, social and architectural perspective. She also heads up the Stanford Mayor's Guys. Hello, Jill, and welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. Nice to meet you. It's great to have you on the show. Been wanting to um, talk to you for some time, having had a visit uh, or, or a tour back at Christmas. All right. With the, uh, the Christmas tour that you did. Yes. Which, which was very good. And I have to say, this is the first time that um, we've been able to do a show out in the open uh, all summer. With somebody, oh, really? socially distanced, of course. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, since COVID. Oh, gosh. All the other ones have, that we've done have been remote. So this is this is a first again for us. So right. It's great oh, stuff. Oh, good, yes. So today we're going to talk about sayings, think, sayings that have gone back you know, a long, long time into history, but we still use today. Um, but before we do that, Jill, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into um, sayings and history and tour guides and all that, please? Um, basically, it goes back 30-odd years. I was very concerned about my brain. I couldn't remember any information or uh, retain it. And uh, I saw in the local library that they were running a course to train Lincolnshire Blue Badge tour guides. And I thought, well... I'm a Yorkshire lass, so I don't know anything about Lincolnshire, so it's a good way of finding out. And I loved history. Um, and um, I applied and I was accepted. And that's when all the hard work started then. <laughs> uh, and I've never looked back. I just I just love the work. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. And I've got the brain going a bit. Well, that's, well. that's really good, isn't it? <laughs> Important to keep the brain going, I must admit. No, I, I mean, I have to say, I've, I've seen lots of glowing, glowing reviews on TripAdvisor. For, for the tours that you've been doing over the last oh, right. last few years. And, and you've also had quite a bit of experience with TV, haven't you? Both local and national and radio. Yes. Um, and particularly sort of of the Middlemarch era. Right. Um, but yes, I've been so fortunate. One of the perks, really, of doing the guiding, um, that I've met a, a number of personalities. I've taken uh, the Duke of Gloucester around Stamford. I've taken Prince Charles around Stamford. Oh, right. Uh, David Gower... Um, I've been on the Richard and Judy show telling ghosty stories and all this has happened really just by doing this exam <laughs> to oh, be right. a Blue Badge tour guide. Okay. Um, and I've been known um, in the media for sort of knowing quirky things. So if they want yes. something quirky, oh, Jill Collins will come up with, <laughs> with something quirky. So, and that's what appeals to me. Yeah. And um, where, do you, where do you actually get all this information from? Is it from the library, the internet? No, or? it just sort of accrues. I I become interested in in something, and then I think, well, why that or how that, and that's how it starts, yeah. and then it grows. And once you find an interest, then all sorts of things sort of just come to you. Yes, um, that you would never. Life is very strange like that. You suddenly have a bit of information, and then suddenly, that information is accrued by just a passing phrase yeah, or yeah. seeing something yes. quite amazing and, and then it just all builds up and and it's obviously given you a lot of opportunity to meet various people as well yes yeah. yes all to, and that's the lovely thing um in my uh, past life i was a hospital cardiographer oh, right. uh, i loved people yes um and of course the the healthy now <laughs> people <laughs> i'm meeting which is much nicer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
that's, that's great stuff. So today we're going to talk about sayings. Yes. Things like, for example, pin money or whatever. And I must admit, I've often wondered where they come from uh, and we still use them. So, um, and you're interested in sayings. Do you, do you incorporate these on the um, tours that you give? Yes, I do. Yes. Because yeah. yeah. people seem to like them. Yes. And often if you see somebody after a few years and say, oh, I came on a tour with you and such and such. Oh, I remember you said you know, a yeah. saying, and they yeah. remember that. They won't remember dates, they won't remember a lot no. of things, but if it finds the imagination, it's often sayings that they yeah. just love. And I, I noticed that you, you you put quite a few of these sayings every Friday on, on social media. Yes, um, I do. I, I, yes. You've been getting a lot of interest from that, haven't you? Yes, yeah. I've really been quite surprised, the interest that I got, and um, my likes have been <laughs> increasing, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, yes, and I enjoy doing them yeah. as well. Have you still got plenty to do? Yes, plenty, I have. Lots of Yes, I thought I might finish, and then I thought, well, no, there's still interest, so I think I'll yeah. just sort of carry on. It's amazing how many there are, isn't there? Oh, it, yeah. it's never-ending, yeah. yes, yes. So, so um, I think what we ought to do then, Joe, is we ought to hand over to you, and you, you ought to tell the listeners a little about, you know, some of these sayings. Right. Is that okay? Yes, that's fine. Brilliant, thank you. Well, I won't bore you with all of them because I have a huge uh, box file. <laughs> so I, I like to categorise them. So it acts as an aid memoir to me, yeah. um, but also to the listener as well. Um, and of course, this area in Lincolnshire and Rutland was known for its sheep. That's where the wealth came from. That's why we could build all these amazing churches. Yeah. Um, and so there are a number of sayings from the wool trade. So if you had a black sheep in the family... Yes. You knew there was going to be trouble because it was thought that the black sheep was a sign of the devil. Oh, right. But also, from a practical point of view, you didn't get any money for its fleece. Right. Um, and so what, what, sorry to interrupt, would, would, yeah. they, what would they do with it? Would they eat it as mutton or something? Well, or? they would use it to clothe themselves. Oh, right. um, yeah. They would use, because everything could be used, the fleece, the lanolin, yes. which was good, uh, oh, okay. to uh, weatherproofing. Yeah. Um, so... And also, because of this super, these superstitions, then they grew. So there was this thing that if you wanted to avoid the plague, if you wrapped yourself up in a black fleece, you wouldn't get it. Oh, yeah. Or probably uh, pertinent today, if you have rheumatism or arthritis, wrap yourself in a black fleece and it'll vanish right away. It's carrying on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, and then... Um, the shepherds would um, always tar their sheep to keep any illnesses and diseases from them at the start of the year. Um, and it was a very mean shepherd that spoilt the sheep for an apath of tar. Because sheep and ship are the old English words um, for the animal. So if you look around uh, in this area, you have shep, shed which was all to do with sheep. Uh, you yes. have yeah. um, uh, Shipley, sheep, uh, Skipton, which is also meaning a town of sheep. So spoiling the ship for an apath of tar, it isn't anything to do uh, with maritime. Right. It's to do with the wool trade. Yeah. Um, and all tarred with the same brush comes from the same expression. And also, not only was it stopping the animal from having any diseases, but it kept away the foxes. They didn't like the smell of the tar. Okay. So, uh, and I was giving this talk a few years ago and a lady said, well, I do the same. I use tar on my chickens because it keeps the the foxes away. Yes. So, 
still going on. Um, when you had, uh, when you wanted to dye your wool, you would dye it in the wool and not the cloth. Right. Uh, you often hear politicians are dyed in the wool. Yes. Um, because uh, if you dyed it in the wool, the colour would remain. Whereas if it was woven and then you dyed it, it could fade. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was very important to be dyed in the wool. Yeah. So when you um, have your wool, you need uh, on cloth. You need to tighten it up, otherwise the winter winds would blow straight through it. So you'd put the woven cloth in a mixture of fuller's earth and urine, and the fullers or the walkers or the amblers. These are all surnames that came about from this process of the wool. Yeah. Uh, they would walk or amble on the cloth. It would all become matted up. They'd take the matted cloth to the tenter meadows, stretch it on tenter hooks, and then it was ready to make into your woolly pulley. Oh, tenter hooks. And the word tenter <laughs> comes from the Latin word tentus, which simply means to stretch. So you get the origin of a tent yeah, from okay. that as well. Yeah. So you can see that there are a number yeah. of So it's, it's not just the saying, is it? It's actually the words that, that come out as well. Yes, And how yes. they've evolved into, in, into the English language. Yes, That's yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and sort of staying with shepherds, uh, the when there were more forests, the, the lords of the manor, the forest belonged to the king for his hunting or the lords of the manor. So the peasants weren't allowed into the woods and they could be fined very heavily. You could have an ear cut off if you were found just picking up beech nuts from a, a wood, etc. Um, and so there was a certain time of the year, getting to late autumn, where you the peasants were allowed in to the woods and yeah. they could get fuel... Uh, from the trees that they could reach by hook or by crook. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> so I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on then, haymaking. Yeah. And the old English word for haymaking was mathing, M-A-T-H-I-N-G. Okay. So after the hay had been cut, then the women and children would go into the fields and pick up the aftermath that was ah. left before the sheep and cattle yeah. could then, could then the go aftermath. in. Yes. Yeah. So moving on to social habits. Yeah. Um, the Saxons, their crowning glory was their hair and men and women would have it way below their waist. And then the Normans arrived. And when the Saxon spies first saw the Normans arriving on the coast, they thought it was an army of invading monks because they all had little short bowl cuts. And um, the Saxons were quite horrified at this. But of course, the Normans were very religious and they thought that long hair was a sign of vanity. Therefore, it was a uh, a sign against God. So the men would all cut their hair in a little bowl shape. So what could the women do? The women couldn't possibly cut their hair. So it became the fashion from Norman times right up to the Tudor times to pile your hair up um, into your headdress and your headdress made your beauty statement. You would pluck out the hair to the middle of your head. You would get rid of your sideburns, get rid of the hair in the nape of your neck, shave off your eyebrows. So all you saw was this pale one face in this beautiful headdress. And it was only in the boudoir with your lover or your husband that a lady <laughs> would let her hair down. Ah, right. I didn't see that coming either. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the dress, 
that people wore, men and women, the sleeves were detachable because they were often the things that got dirty, but also um, they you would change them depending on what was the fashion. Yes. So you could have billowy sleeves, you could have straight sleeves, straight sleeves with a pointy end at the wrist. Um, and it was a custom that if your loved one was going off to fight in the Hundred Years' War, or if it was simply Valentine's Day, the lady would show her love uh, by giving the sleeve of her favourite gown. And then it was a case of wearing one's heart on one's sleeve. Uh (laughs) And it was Henry VIII that received a green gown from an admirer, which gave him the inspiration to write green sleeves. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You'd never know. (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I call... um, I, I do a talk and I call it I Never Knew That because you right. can hear people going, well, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so moving to the court of Versailles. Yes. The uh, Louis XIV, the Sun King, um, was um, quite a precocious king and uh, it was quite an immoral court. And there were certain members of court that thought it should be brought back to uh, a more... Um, pure state and who better to do this than to employ um, a fire and brimstone priest so he was duly installed in the chapel at Versailles and his masses just went on and on and on and this presented a problem for the ladies at court who were there in their very straight tight corsets and so because of the pressure nature would call a little more frequently so where could a lady go she couldn't possibly leave the mass and so it became the custom amongst the ladies at the court of Versailles to wear little porcelain receptacles underneath their gowns so that when nature called they just had to sing just a little bit louder (laughs) this um, caught on in England And we too were wearing little receptacles underneath our gowns. And they were named after the fire and brimstone priest, whose name was Monsieur Bordaloue. (laughs) And in fact, about three or four years ago, on the Antiques Roadshow, um, a gentleman presented this gravy boat that had been in the family for years, that had brought out every Sunday yeah. for the roast, only to be told that it was in fact a bourdaloo. Oh my goodness. So it wasn't a gravy boat. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I could see that one coming as well. <laughs> um, so talking about uh, corsets. Yeah. As you do. As, as one does, yeah. yes. Um, and everybody... Uh, wore them. Even little children would be wearing corsets. Yes, I went to the Museum of um, Dress at Bath and there were these tiny little stays that boys and girls were having to wear. Um, And of course, um, George IV was known. He had, I think, a 52-inch waist, so he would wear a a corset and uh, a lot of the men did, particularly the generals going, going out to battle. So, in order to achieve your 14, 15-inch waist, um, your uh, lady-in-waiting would tighten your corsets. And um, to, quite naturally, you didn't want to flop out halfway through the evening. And so to make sure that they stayed secure, uh, they would be fastened horizontally. 
Right. This presented a bit of a problem if you were a courtesan or a mistress where speed was the essence. <laughs> and so you would fasten your corsets vertically, which aimed for quicker release. And the vertically bound ladies would rather frown on their horizontally bound sisters, thinking they were very straight laced. Uh, straight laced. Uh, right. <laughs> Um, so we're all dressed now in our finery. We're going off to the assemblies. Yeah. Uh, and assemblies are very important, particularly in 18th century society life, because this is where you met your prospective husband or wife. So you had to look your very best. Um, and uh, you were wearing your white lead makeup. Men and women. White lead. Yes, and of course it was highly toxic. It's plumbago. Yeah. No health and safety then. Uh, no, indeed. <laughs> um, but as today, you had to follow fashion, whether it was good or not. Yeah, very true. <laughs> and um, so you would pile on the white lead and you would leave it on. And the most important um, utensil in your cosmetic bag was a chisel, because after a few weeks you'd chisel off the white lead and then you could start all you'd over chisel, again. chisel off your face. Yeah. My goodness. So you can imagine what it was doing to your to your skin. Yeah. Um, and because of the white lead, you were then powdering your wigs and the powder was making you go bald. Your hair was coming out in handfuls. And so it became the fashion then to um, have your, when children were born, to put uh, walnut strips, uh, rags doused in walnut on the hairline to stop the hair from growing oh, because right. it then became the fashion to sort of, be a bit bored um also uh, eyebrows were a great problem um because you were shaving them off it was a fashion for both men and women to shave off your eyebrows but you would replace them with mouse fur mouse fur <laughs> yes so your eyebrows could be anywhere that you wanted on your face and i think with your hairline vanishing then the higher your brows went, the better. So this brought about the expression of the high brow. <laughs> it's so easy when it you is, know, yeah. isn't I'm, it? I'm starting to get into this now, Jill. <laughs> I'm, I'm I won't steal your thunder, but I am beginning to learn how these how they came about now. <laughs> well, it is. It's just for everyday living, yeah. really, and yeah. these these things come about. Yeah. Um, and then in the 18th century, teeth were a problem because, of course, the wealthy could afford sweet, sugary things, so they had the rotten teeth. Um, and so you would have your teeth pulled out and replace them with with uh, false teeth, yeah. uh, usually from a cadaver, um, or the poor would sell their teeth uh, to be made into false teeth. If you didn't want to go to those limits, um, the ladies could always hide their rotten teeth with their fans, but what could the gentlemen do? So it became the custom amongst the upper-class gentlemen to talk with their top lip brought over their rotten teeth <laughs> which brought about the expression of the stiff upper lip <laughs> so you're waiting to find uh, your eligible partner unfortunately if you weren't so attractive this could be quite difficult because when you went to the assemblies the master of ceremonies would decide where the ladies could sit so the most attractive young ladies would sit on the front row and depending on your age or your looks, you were placed further and further to the back of the tiers of seats. So the poor little girl on the black back row was the wallflower. <laughs> so it's time to go home now. 
so we want to hail our carriage. Um, now, if you were upper class, to impress your neighbours, you would throw in the odd French word to impress them. Um, and this happened when you were hailing your carriage because the French word for a carriage was a chariot or chariot. Chariot, yeah. um, chariot is the supermarket trolley in France nowadays. <laughs> and so uh, when you wanted your carriage, you would say chariot, chariot, which eventually became chariot, Cheerio. chariot. That's amazing. I never knew that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know many people, that, listeners of that would actually know that. That's, uh, that's amazing. Well, it, uh, but it's interesting to see how many words from France, particularly during the, sec- uh, the First World War, yes. we anglicised. So the soldiers would hear often the French saying, A tout à l'heure, see you soon, yeah. which became Toodaloo. Which Toodaloo. Was, uh, and that was from the First World War? That was the First World War, yes. Oh, wow. And um, boeuf bouillé, yeah. uh, boiled beef, was bully beef. And it can oh, so okay. it, it just it yeah, changes. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. I wonder if it's still happening now. Whether whether people in fifty years' time will, will have sayings that go back to now. I bet it does. I bet it will yeah, do. Yeah. Yes, that you pick, just pick up these phrases and then anglicise it. Yes, because um, we're very good at doing that. So I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure there will be lots more. I can't think at the moment whether there are um, any more. But no, because unfortunately the French are often following. Using our words as well they're, now, which is a more Americanized, aren't they? Yes, in their language. yes, yeah. yes, like weekend and yeah. okay. McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's, yes, yes. So, what's next then, Jill? Grass Widow, I think. Grass Widow? Yes. There are two um, origins of this saying. The first one goes back to medieval times, and it's actually quite a word of warning. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. Um, because when a young buck of the village, uh, would brag to his mates that he had um, given a green gown to a young girl of the village. Yes. It meant actually that he'd had a roll in the hay with her and she'd ended up with grass stains on her <laughs> gown. And sometimes, of course, the inevitable happened. The girl became pregnant. Where was the young buck then? Nowhere to be seen. And so the poor unfortunate girl became a grass widow. Oh. And often on Valentine's Day, a young man would then boast as well that he was giving a green gown to a young lady that he fancied. <laughs> so, ladies, if anybody comes up with an offer of a green gown, well, turn it down. Turn it down. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> or not, depending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending on how you feel. <laughs> and the other example, when, of course, uh, we were in India... The army was in India and often the tours were escorted and when it got really hot on the plains then the wives and family were sent up into the hills where it was cooler uh, and where the grass was still growing and they became the grass widows oh, okay. so you can take your pick. Yes, yes, depending how you feel. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, before we had the beds as we know them, the comfy beds and mattresses, you would sleep on... Um, uh, a wooden board uh, that had ropes attached and this is what you slept on and then you'd put your straw on these um, ropes and of course after quite a while these ropes became loose and so you'd be able to tighten them up and then you would have a good night's sleep or you were sleeping tight sleeping tight sleep tight 
Um, the Romans were terrified of the left-hand side. In fact, the uh, Latin for left is sinister. And they went to great lengths to avoid anything to do with the left. And we get the expression, of course, getting out of bed on the wrong side, which is the left-hand side. Um, but just going back to that, if you do sleep on the left-hand side, don't worry, because when you get out of bed, put your right foot on the floor first, <laughs> so you're making the sign of the cross, right. and then your day will be fine. Oh, right, so that cancels it out. Yes. You don't have to get out on the right side of the bed. No, then. no, you can get out on the wrong side as long as you make the sign of the cross with okay. your feet. So going back to the Romans, uh, the Romans would employ a slave to stand by the villa door if visitors were coming to make sure that the visitor put their right foot over the threshold first before they came in to the house. And so this slave uh, eventually became known as the footman. Okay, that's an interesting one. Isn't it? Yeah, so that's so actually, simple. Yeah, so that goes originally, it's 2,000 years ago. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So quite, quite amazing. Yeah. Um, so moving on to occupations. In order uh, for the um, hatters to make the stiff top hats, they would use mercury. And of course, mercury is highly toxic. They would be inhaling the fumes. They would be touching it. It would be going into their skin. And one of the effects of mercury poisoning is that you start to hallucinate. So you became as mad as a hatter. <laughs> That's an interesting one. At one time, there were just two universities, Oxford and Cambridge. And often you only got there because of the title of your father, not for your academic qualities. There were wealthy benefactors who would set up grammar schools for the brighter children in the town. Brighter boys, rather, in the town. Uh, Yes, not the girls. Brighter boys in the town. And often there would be a scholarship attached for the brightest boy. So, from the grammar school uh, in our town, our young boy has gone off to Cambridge University. And when he gets there, he has to sign the register and he writes his name and then there would be a column where he has to put the title of his father. If he's just a lad from the local town, he has no title. So, therefore, in that column, he would write sine nobility. Without nobility, S-N-O-B for short, which is what all his friends thought about him when he returned back to his hometown. Snob. Snob. You'd never have guessed that, would you? No. No. That's amazing. Um, so, you have ch- we often say in England that we have chalky whites, which is obvious if your, name is, your surname is white. Yes. So, why do you have Nobby Clarks? Well... Only the wealthy could afford to employ a clerk. So you were a clerk to the nobility. So you were, became known as a nobby, nobby clerk. clerk. <laughs> the word news comes from the four corners of the world. North, east, west and south where all the news it, is coming from. Oh, wow. So yeah. simple. It's very, a very simple one, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, moving on to the coach trade. In the 18th century, the coaches were racing up and down the Great North Road from London to 
uh, Edinburgh, and they were a horse pulling a full four horses pulling a full carriage could do about 20 25 miles going at full speed and then the horses had to be changed so there were coaching stops all the way up the great north road uh, there would be a coach leaving old holborn in london for edinburgh and on the way it would stop um, at the cock inn at stony stratford there was a coach leaving birmingham on its way up to Edinburgh, would stop at the Bull Inn at Stony Stratford. And the passengers would tell their stories and they'd all become a little bit exaggerated until it became a complete cock and bull story. (laughs) And if you think that's what I'm telling you, all you have to do is to go to Stony Stratford and the Cock Inn and the Bull Inn are still going strong today. That's amazing. Cock and bull story. Cock and bull story. So... When you were at these coaching stops, presumably, on your way back, you would end up with the same horses that you'd left London from, or Edinburgh, depending on which way you were going. Not so if you went via Cambridge, um, because there was a rather irascible publican there called Thomas Hobson, and it was Hobson's choice Choice. which horses he took out of the stable for you. (laughs) Taxes. We've had taxes since the world (laughs) began. Um, The window tax. We needed more money um, to fight the French. So uh, to fight the French against the Spanish in the Spanish War of Succession. So the window tax was introduced. If you had more than six windows, you were taxed on them. So to avoid the tax, you blocked the windows in. And this is where you get the expression of daylight robbery. Wow. There was also, going back to Viking times, if you didn't pay your tax, they would split your nose in half. And then you were paying through the nose. There's no, there's no end to these, Jill. No, <laughs> just, they just go on and on. You don't think I'm making them all up, do you? I, no, I, I don't. No, I, I must admit, you know, I, the more you think about them, the more you realise that um, they do actually come from something. It's how they actually... But I, I never knew that about the news, north, south, east and west. Yes. Yeah. Or north, so east, simple, west yes, and south. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I suppose today with computers and technological things there must be a load of expressions well we have that you know when somebody says can i meet you on such and such a day yeah. and then the other one say oh well see if i've got a window Which is oh, kind of, yes i really don't like that that's expression. a fairly new one isn't yes it? Yeah. so there will be yes. you know for the for the modern yeah, yeah, yeah. day yeah. anything sort of that affects society yeah. there will be sayings that come up uh, from it so bob i hope i've come up to scratch and I hope that you don't think I've been telling you all a load of my eye and Betty Martin. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, well, th- thank you very much, Jill, for all that. that that's amazing. Uh, I think you've really given us a huge amount of detail there about a lot of the sayings that have evolved over the English language uh, yes. over the last, well, 2,000 years, I guess. Yeah. And it makes the language so much more colourful, Yeah, it does. It? I, I think now when I start talking to people, I'm going to have to really be careful what I say. <laughs> Um, so, could you tell us a little bit about the, the Stanford Tour Guides, or the Mayor's Guides, as, as they're known? Yes, um, I thought I would like to uh, not do as much work as I have been doing, have some time for myself. Yeah. And I wanted to pass on my information of 35 years guiding as the Stanford Town Guide. 
Um, and so uh, I found uh, five wonderful people who were very keen, loved history. And I decided that um, if uh, they went to learn all the historical information about the town, which is very important, obviously, but I didn't want it to be my tour. Yeah. And they would have all their different views. Uh, the men would have different ideas to the to the girls on the tour. Um, but I would show them how to present it because yes. presentation is so important. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were out, rain, hail, blow and snow in the winter months. <laughs> they all endured it and they endured me. And then there were exams at the end um, and the... Um, People were of a historical background that were testing them. They all passed with flying colours. Excellent. And um, unfortunately, they were all set to go, so keen to go. Unfortunately, COVID then came along. Um, But uh, it has been um, lessened slightly and we can take... Uh, up to six people, one being the guide, of course, yes. around the town, Socially social distancing, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. And it's safe for the town and it's safe for the guides and safe for the visitors. Um, and they are proving very successful, which is wonderful oh, that's news. Excellent. And how's trade? Is, is it, has it got busy again? Yes, it has. In fact, we just started doing uh, one Sunday in July yeah. onwards, in the summer months, one Sunday... And we've had to extend our times and our days. And in fact, on Bank Holiday weekend, they were doing two tours were in the morning and one in the afternoon. And they're just going from strength to strength. And I'm so delighted. And now they're just preparing to do some ghost walks. Oh, right. Ready for what, Halloween? For Halloween time. Yes, oh, okay. they're putting that together. So if people, if people, if any listeners out there are interested in coming on one of these tours or going on a ghost walk, where, can they, uh, where, where would they find information, Jill? Um, on Facebook, yeah. it is the Mayor's Guides on Facebook. Uh, we do have a website. That's fine. Well, what I'll, what I'll do, um, I'll get the details and I'll put everything on the show notes. So if people are interested in doing something, That's wonderful. they can make contact with you and uh, have, yes. a, have a good time. Yes, or they can, they can contact me and... Um, you know, yeah. I can pass on because I'm still guiding. Yes. Uh, but not this year. I'm waiting for next year. Yeah. So, yes. Have you got any other projects coming up at all that you'd like to tell listeners about, Jill? We're hoping to put together packages um, for overseas uh, so that they can enjoy our, enjoy our part of the world. Yeah. And we've got good contacts. So hopefully it will be 2021 2022 um and also we're going to do themed walks i'm hoping the christmas walks will go again um, well, I, I can thoroughly recommend that i i went on one of your first ones at christmas oh, which good. was uh, i think it was very nice actually because we we had some uh, some wine yes we did mold, mold wine we did and the yeah. wind blew it was a very cold day <laughs> it wasn't was it? a very cold day <laughs> and sadly um because i i also then uh, do a, a valentine's day walk yeah and the heavens opened, so it had to be cancelled, which oh, is right. unusual. I don't think it's ever happened before. But um, and, and no doubt, uh, so tra- you know the, the, the people on the tour they, they hear some more of these sayings from you from yourself. Yes, yeah. yes, and they hear all sorts. the The guided tours are there's hist- history there. There's all the information you want to know. Yeah. Um, but also there's all sorts of social history that you learn as well and yeah. personalities which make the yeah. tour. Uh, very interesting. Well, Jill, being successful. 
thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely fascinating with, with some of the uh, uh, studying and work you've done on these, on these sayings. And I think it's great for everybody to know where they come from. So thank, thank you ever so much. Thank you very much indeed, Bob. Thank you. My thanks go to today's guest, Jill Collins. I found the conversation with Jill absolutely fascinating. It's incredible how things we say are interspersed with sayings that have evolved throughout history and that we still use all the time. Jill has an amazing grasp on this subject. Also, if you are ever planning to visit Stamford in England, I can thoroughly recommend going on one of her tours. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best.